Church, our passage today that we read is rich in teaching on our faith. It is rich in our teaching about God and our spiritual practices. And we have a full hour and a half to listen to me talk about it today. Um, but we, we are truly going to try and tackle much of this in our time as we go through our scripture, which comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want you to know that our main focus today is going to be on the prayer of Hannah and then her interaction with Eli, the high priest. So to give us some further context, I want to walk us through what brought Hannah to a place of deep grieving and of passionate prayer. See, Hannah is one of two wives to a man named Elkanah. And he loves her, but she is unable to have children. And in the culture that Hannah grew up in and lived in, being barren labeled women as broken or less valuable. The other wife, though, Paniah, did have children with the husband Elkanah, but yet Elkanah still loved Hannah and showed her some special treatment. This caused a tension that led to consistent cruelty and downright bullying by Paniah towards Hannah that went on for years and years. And this had an impact on how and what Hannah prayed. And that's what we are going to see today in our scripture. So as we get ready to go before the Lord and hear the words of God today, let us pray for illumination. Merciful, faithful God, grant us the ability to hear your message today. To recognize what you are teaching to us. May our prayer, no matter the length, be brought to you as an offering, powerful and ready to make a change. Amen. So our scripture today comes from 1 Samuel in the first chapter, jumping in at verse 4. On the day that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife, Peniah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. And now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor, razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying, 
before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as worthless woman. For I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate, and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We see that Hannah was a follower of God and had been praying for years for a child but had not yet received one. As we look at Hannah's situation, it may make us feel sad for her. Or it may make us feel frustrated and angry with Elkanah and Paniah for what they put her through. When we examine how Hannah must have felt, we can say that she probably felt there was a distance or a frustration between her and God for going so long with her biggest prayer unanswered. And being bullied for years with no rescue, she must have certainly felt alone in her own family. But Hannah never stopped. She never stopped turning to the Lord in prayer, and she persevered in faith and in her prayer life. I'll tell you this, church, reading this passage from my own perspective, as a husband to my beautiful wife, Emily, we've been married for three years, uh, I cringed at what Elkanah said. I'll remind you, he said, her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? This is what hurts me the most. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Man, that is not what Hannah would have wanted or needed to hear. I can only imagine the comments that Elkanah is making, how they must have added on to the hurt of Hannah. Now, for any couples out there, hearing this, it may strike up a story in your mind or bring about when you remember a time when your spouse was trying to tell you something and you just, you love them so much. You love them so much that you just want to fix it right then. You don't care what else they're saying. You just want to fix whatever the problem is. Right? Anyone else? Okay. I, too, find myself doing this with my wife. I don't 
always hear her because I'm too focused on myself or trying to fix the problem. And we can see that that is not what they need or what they want. Is in fact to share in that emotions with them, to then see the trials and to celebrate afterwards. So Elkanah doesn't hear his wife Hannah, and he doesn't seem to support her either. Remember, this bullying had been going on for years. So then, who does hear Hannah? Who does support her? God does. You see, Hannah's pain brings her to the temple before God in prayer. Hannah prays so passionately that the priest Eli thinks that she is drunk. Hannah may have had tears coming down her face. She may have been slightly swaying as she prayed, and we know that her lips were moving, but they didn't make a sound. If we saw this today in somebody, we would think they're definitely out of it. When we think about this, and we go back in Scripture, is there any other times that we can think of when a follower of God has been called drunk? There's another time I thought of. It was following Jesus' ascension back into heaven and his disciples had gathered in a room together. They were all praying. That's when the Holy Spirit came in with a mighty rushing wind, filled the room, and gave them the ability to speak in different languages. And then they were told to go out into the streets and start preaching the gospel in all these different languages they could talk in now. It was a crazy scene. And the people around the disciples looked at them strangely, and some of them sneered and called them drunk. These are two places where people are so passionately praying and encountering God that it looks weird, foreign, or so strange to others that they had to justify, judge, or belittle it by calling them drunk. I want to swing us back to Hannah now in the temple. The temple is her church, what we would be here. She's praying fervently, so passionately that her lips are moving, but no words come out. Imagine she was probably scared to say her prayer out loud for anyone else to hear the deepest part of her pain. So she prayed in her mind, but it was so passionate, so fervent, so genuine that her body could not contain it. And then there's Eli, the priest, sitting at the door, doing his job, looking over the temple. And he sees her. He sees this woman speaking to herself something. And immediately he thinks the worst. He goes, oh man, here's another drunk person again in the temple. Don't they know this place is sacred? Get out, right? But how wrong was the priest Eli? 
this seemingly drunk woman is in fact having a very intimate, very vulnerable conversation with God where she is sharing her pain. And when we think about Hannah's prayer in the temple, and we compare it to how we pray today in our very own temple or at home, comparing it can bring out some big differences. And I hope that those differences can leave us wanting more, more authenticity and more room for growth in our own prayers with God. You see, in church on Sundays, we will say things such as, uh, let us pour out our hearts before God, or we will say to place it all at God's feet or at God's throne. But church, are we really doing that? I mean, think about it. When was the last time you prayed a Hannah prayer? One that was so raw, so genuine, so fervent, that it brought you to your knees, that it made your lips move even though you did not intend to speak. When was the last time you had an encounter with God that was from a place of true dependence and need. We live, those of us in America, live in a great country. We do. And for those here in our area, we live in a wealthy community. We live in a fairly safe community. And most of us have all of our basic needs, I would imagine. Clothing, food, shelter, water. And as great as that is, and, and I truly mean this, it is fantastic, it is great. But we can still lose perspective. And we can think that we don't need God. Or, it may be that we do not realize what has all been made possible by God. Hannah was, in woman, was a woman in need of something only God could provide. And we are all in need. Maybe we are not in need of a child, but I imagine we all have that big prayer request that we have, that we've held on to, or maybe it's something that we need to pray about to let go of. I challenge us that we need to ask ourselves have we given up on seeking an answer? Because maybe it seemed just to take too long. Or maybe we didn't care to bother God with our problems. Church, have we lost our perseverance in faith? For Hannah, it took years coming again and again in the midst of being bullied by Paniah. It took Hannah perseverance, faith, patience, and a willingness to be vulnerable. My friends, if we again look at our prayers, are they leaving us vulnerable? Are we vulnerable in our prayers? Are we patient with God's answers and not just expecting a one-time prayer to solve it all? Friends, are we really approaching God 
as if it is God who we rely on all things for. As if it is really God. I'll tell you this, I, I do not expect us um, next Sunday to be coming back here and praying like a bunch of drunk people, going like full charismatic. Um, but I do hope that we can take a lesson from Hannah on the power of prayer and the perseverance of faith. And that there can be some things that we add or that we change in the ways that we approach God. Because prayer is powerful. It's a powerful tool. Think about it. The creator of the universe, the creator of you and all things, basically said, here you go. Here's a direct line of communication between you and Jesus and me. Between your Savior and your God. All you got to do is ask. That is insane. It is insanely powerful. So let us use it as such. To use it as a way to build that relationship with God. And then from there, we are building relationships with each other. It changes the way we approach God. Now, when we talk about good neighbors, there's one that comes to mind, especially in the Methodist church, is John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodist, uh, the Methodist movement. He was an exceptional man, and in our eyes today, we would probably call him hardcore. He lived uh, a somewhat monk-style life, uh, to where he would rise at 4 or 5 a.m., I know, he slept in, uh, to pray. And then he would fast for at least two days a week until the late afternoon. He would meditate daily on Scripture. He would receive Holy Communion at least once a week. He would meet regularly, regularly to pray and talk about God and the Bible with others throughout the week. That's a lot. And he was a Methodist. And by that I mean he had a method. He would rise and pray. He would fast, visit widows and the imprisoned, and gather with others, and much more. Now, as an example is great, and I don't expect us to be like John Wesley getting up at four or five in the morning just to pray, but there are some practical ways and things that we can take away from this that can help us approach God differently and help us to pray differently. I want to share four of those with you today. The first is to start with confession. It is true that God knows all things about you and about me. But confession is not just for God, it is also for us. You see, when we confess all of our sins, and I mean try laying it out one by one, remembering the things we have done, to put ourselves farther from God, it shows us just how big, just how big our sins are. It reminds us of our true need for a Savior. So start with confession. Two is try a different medium. Like an artist experimenting with their craft, we too can change our ways. If you usually pray silently, Try then, as awkward as it will be, to pray out loud. Or maybe try writing down your prayers and journaling them. 
You may be somebody that uh, is used to having long prayers. Try to add in short, uh, what I call toss-up prayers, where someone comes into your mind or something while you're driving or walking or shopping, and you just do it right then. You say, God, I pray for this person. Or maybe you're in the routine of toss-up prayers. And I challenge us to then set aside that time to go a little bit longer, a little bit deeper. And remember, it doesn't matter if your eyes are open, closed, if you're on your knees, if you're sweating, if you're speaking out loud or not, if your body is one way, it is about your soul. What matters is you coming before the Lord in prayer. Number three is going off of number two and setting a specific time. It is so easy for us to lose track of time, even though it is such a limited resource. With many of us working from home, uh, the work-life balance has just gotten blurred, and we may feel like, I don't even think that it's Sunday. I have no idea what day it is. Well, set something on your phone. Set a reminder. Or if you're someone that actually looks at your fridge calendar and uses that, Put it on there. More power to you. I've never looked at my fridge calendar. But set aside intentional time with God, however long it may be, to say this is your time. And the fourth one might be the hardest. It's to pray with others. Too often, my friends, we can feel alone in this relationship with God because, let's face it, God isn't always speaking to us with a loud voice or a soft whisper. It can be hard to hear from God. It can be frustrating. So find someone who you trust and who you can be vulnerable with to share in that time with God, to pray for each other. This is powerful because our faith journey is not meant to be done alone. And bringing in someone to prayer with you, it makes you vulnerable, but it brings out so much joy. Imagine when that prayer is answered and that person has been there praying with you and praying for you. There is someone that knows the struggle you've gone through, has been vulnerable with you, and then gets to rejoice in all of it with you. It is powerful. Church, these are just some of the ways that we can pray like Hannah. But the most important is that we need to be real, we need to be genuine, and we need to be vulnerable with God. I want to tell you, if you've never heard it before, or maybe as a reminder, that it is okay, it is okay to let yourself go before the Lord. If you are not at a place to bring someone into your prayer life, just let go before the Lord. Lay it all down at God's feet. For God, we know, wants the absolute best for you and for all of us. Amen.